Almighty God, as we approach this passage of Scripture, Lord, we, we get a clear image of who you are. Lord, we see your righteous judgment, but we also see your merciful deliverance. Lord, as we examine this passage of Scripture, we, we see that, that you will indeed pour out your judgment on the wicked of this world. And Lord, the only hope that they have, the only hope that we have, is your mercy. That we would turn to Christ and be saved. Lord, I pray that as we examine this passage of Scripture this morning together, that you would cause each of us to examine our hearts. Lord, to see you more fully, to understand who you are in your holiness. Lord, to respond with faith and obedience. Lord, I pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us an understanding and a, and a greater appreciation, a greater ability to worship you for all of your glorious attributes. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we turn to our passage of Scripture this morning, I invite you to please stand with me as we revere the word of our Lord on this passage is um, Genesis chapter 19. I'll be reading the whole chapter, Genesis 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside from your servants to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg of you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you to do to, you, do to, to them as, they, as you please. We do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he's become the judge. Now we will do worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to the Lot, so men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, 
The angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. As they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, the city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And, behold, and my life will be saved. And he said to, them, said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I could do nothing to arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire out of the Lord from heaven, from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the, valley, the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst to overthrow, of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old. There's not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of, of the, all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our, from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. The younger rose and lay with him. She did not know, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Amorites to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. John Bunyan's classic allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, begins with these words. I dreamed... And behold, I saw a man clothed in rags standing in a certain place with his face from his own house, a book in his hand and a great burden on his back. And I looked and saw him open the book and read therein. And as he read, he wept and trembled. Not able to contain himself any longer, he broke out with a lamentable cry saying, what shall I do? Soon after, the man meets evangelist who asks him, for what reason are you crying? He answered, Sir, I understand by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die, and after that to come to judgment, and I find that I'm not willing to do the first nor able to do the second. 
The evangelist pointed him towards the wicked gate, the narrow gate that leads to life, asking, do you see a shining light not so quite, quite so far away? Keep that light before your eye and go directly toward it. And then you shall see the gate at which when you knock, you'll be told what you are to do. And the man began to run. His wife and his children cried after him to return his neighbors too. Then, the, then said the man who is now called Christian, neighbors, why have you come after me? They said to persuade you to, go, to come back with us. But he said, that can by no, means, by no means be, for you dwell in the city of destruction, the place where I was also born. As it appears, and dying there sooner or later, you will sink lower than the grave into a place that burns with fire and brimstone. Be more content, good neighbors, to go along with me. But they refused to leave the comforts and the pleasures of their wicked lives. Christian encounters many dangers and pitfalls along the way to the celestial city. One is a man named Mistrust who tempts Christian to turn from his journey, warning him that there are lions in the road ahead. And Christian responds to Mistrust, You make me afraid. On the other hand, where else shall I run to for safety? If I return to my home in the city of destruction, which region is, is destined for the judgment of fire and brimstone, then I will certainly perish. However, if I can eventually reach the celestial city, then my safety is assured there. Therefore, I must press forward in spite of risks and perils. To go back is certainly to suffer death. But to go forward through fear of death, though fear of death will threaten along the way, it is yet to have the prospect of everlasting life beyond. So I will definitely go forward. The focus here in our passage this morning in Genesis 19 shifts from Abraham to Lot as the, as the angels Abraham encountered now travel to Sodom where, sojour, where Lot was sojourning. And though Abraham is mentioned only briefly here, his importance to this story is highlighted as we'll see. Like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, Lot is warned that he must flee from the city of destruction. And Lot too will encounter many dangers and pitfalls along the way. So as we travel through this, this chapter, we, we're wondering the, the question of well, what's going to happen to Lot? Will Lot survive? And even if he manages to make it out of the city of destruction alive, will he make it to the celestial city? There are a lot of things that Lot does along the way that would make us question his final destination. We'll have to look beyond Genesis for the verdict on Lot. This passage would have been an encouragement for Israel that God would, would rain down wrath on the wicked Canaanites that they were about to encounter. But it also served as a warning not to be like them. It served as a warning to Israel to flee the city of destruction as they would be tempted by the wickedness of the Canaanites around them. It also served as a warning against bringing the city with them when they fled. And friends, it serves as a warning to us as well. The city that we live in will, like Sodom, be destroyed. You have been warned, like Lot, to flee. Flee. Flee from the city of destruction. 
But when you flee, don't try to take the city with you. You will never arrive at the celestial city. There are many parallels with Je- between Genesis 19 and the wicked behavior of the Benjamites in Judges 19. We'll touch on a couple of those as we go, but there, there are also many parallels here with the, the account of the flood from Genesis 6 to 9, which is another account of, of destruction and deliverance where God pours out his, his righteous wrath, but delivers according to his sovereign grace. So we see that there are four scenes in this chapter. In verses 1 to 14, the sun sets on Sodom. In verses 15 to 22, the sun rises on Lot. In verses 23 to 29, the sun rises on the destruction of the cities. And in verses 30 to 38, the sun sets on Lot and his offspring. There are clear time markers in this passage. The action begins in the, in the evening and then moves into the night and then the, the next morning. And, and on from there, as the, the day progresses, the story moves towards its cataclysmic conclusion. Yet the final cataclysm and conclusion are not what you think it might be. In verses 1 to 14, the sun sets on Sodom. Verse 1 begins with, with the two angels that had left Abraham in, chapter, in the middle of chapter 18 arriving at Sodom in the evening. And they had come with the Lord to Abraham earlier in the day and, and what was implied in chapter 18 is now revealed. These are angels, supernatural beings sent by the Lord as messengers. This is a reconnaissance mission. The angels are in Sodom to gather intel to determine whether the, 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 the sin of those in the city have done according to the outcry that had come to the Lord. And as the angels arrive, Lot is in the city gate, the, the place that is normally attended by civic leaders to meet for, for conversation and business, for, for the administration of justice and, and other important matters. And Lot here is is contrasted with Abraham sitting at the door of his tent. Lot, it seems, is is part of the city, a prominent man in Sodom. When Lot sees the angels approaching, he he rises to meet them and then bows low before them and greets them and says, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. He seemed unaware of their true identity, but certainly was unaware of their mission. The angels refuse his his invitation in the strongest of terms. They they say, no, we will not come with you. We're going to spend the night in the town square. But Lot would not take no for an answer. Now, maybe Lot was was aware of the dangers that would would have awaited them in the city square. And so he compels them. He pressed them strongly to to come to his house and to shelter there. When they arrive, Lot makes a feast and bakes unleavened bread. This suggests that this was a a rushed meal. This is not the lavish feast that was supplied by Abraham in Genesis 18. But but nonetheless, Lot is showing hospitality, which, which as we talked about last week, was a, a vitally important virtue in that culture and should be in ours. Here, Lot is presented as a foil. He's presented as a, as a foil for both, for both Abraham and for the men of Sodom. 
Abraham is a, a contrast to Lot, and Lot is a contrast to the Sodomites. Lot has, has prepared him, sorry, Lot has separated himself from Abraham and now is presented as separate from the culture of the city. As we're about to see, we're about to see just to what extent he was separate from that culture. In verse 4, tensions mount. As even before they lay down, the, the, the angels lay down, the men of the city surround the house. And Moses uses repetition to emphasize the pervasiveness of their sin. The men of the city, the men of Sodom, young men, old men, every one of them down to the last man. Abraham had interceded down to ten men. There weren't even ten men, ten righteous men in the city. We're wondering, left wondering if there's even one. The city is full of sin. Sin has completely pervaded every part of the city. We were told in Genesis 13, 13, that the men of Sodom were, were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Now we see the full extent of their sin. They called out to Lot in verse 5, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now the word that's translated know here refers to intimate physical knowledge, behavior that is shameful to even speak of. This is a clear reference to the type of sin that is spoken about in Leviticus 18.22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is abomination. The Bible is clear in its condemnation of this behavior and not just in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, many places, but, but just focusing on Romans 1 for a second, we, we, we see people who are given over to such behavior as a judgment from God because of their willful rejection of Him. Verses 26 and 27 of Romans 1. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The scriptures are clear. Yet there are those who claim that, that this word that is translated no here in Genesis 19 means that the men merely wanted to become acquainted with the angels and that they were angry that Lot hadn't introduced them to the men. So they're saying that this, this word no here just means get to know. And it's true that, that sometimes the word that's translated here, yada, no, sometimes carries that meaning, but, but the interpretation, that interpretation makes absolutely no sense in the context of the story. As we'll see with Lot's perverse offer in verse 8. Friends, people may try to twist Scripture to make it say what they want it to say or make it not say what they don't want it to say. They may be able to convince themselves, but God will not be convinced. He has divinely superintended the writing of Scripture as godly men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The meaning of Scripture is not determined by the reader of Scripture, but by the author of Scripture. These men wanted to physically violate angels in the form of men. You need to be clear about this. No matter what you see in the media, no matter what you're taught in school, 
No matter what your friends are telling you, God's word is clear. The only acceptable context for physical intimacy is between a biologically born man and woman, husband and wife, joined together in the covenant of marriage. That is the only acceptable form of physical intimacy. Anything else is sin. People can try to explain their behavior away in order to, in an attempt to sear their own conscience, in order to quiet their own seared conscience, but God will not accept their plea of innocence in this matter. And it is bitterly ironic that the men of Sodom desired to know the men, but had no idea who they were or whose mission they were on. In verses 6 to 8, Lot went out to them, trying to dissuade them from their evil course of action. He tries three tactics. He, he makes an urgent plea and appeals to righteousness, saying, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Lot here is showing that he is not totally immersed in the culture. He, he is rightly judging their behavior as wicked. Yet in the very next breath, he makes his own wicked suggestion. Lot here calls them brothers, presenting himself as one of them. And with his next words, he appears to be like one of them. He offers his virgin daughters, willing to sacrifice their purity instead of his guests. This is reprehensible. Lot's actions are as inexcusable as those of his uncle Abraham in Genesis 12, where Abraham sacrificed the, the virtue of his wife to protect himself. And finally, Lot makes an appeal to hospitality, to his responsibility to protect his guests. Now again, it's true, it's true that in that culture, a host would be considered culpable for any mistreatment of his guests. But in any culture, a father is culpable for mistreatment of his daughters. Lot takes hospitality seriously, and that's good, but in it, it's a bizarre and sinful lack of protection of his daughters. Something very similar happens in, in Judges 19, and if you're familiar with that story, it has a tragic end. It ends with the, the death of the woman who was offered in place of the visitor. It seems that Lot, though, though separate from the culture of the city, has been infected by the culture of that city. In this, Kenneth Matthews tells us that Sodom had taken up residence in Lot's soul. The men of Sodom reject Lot's intervention. And they reject Lot. Verse 9, they say, stand back. And, and they said, this fellow came to sojourn and, and he's become, now he's become the judge. And they call him a, a sojourner, a foreigner among them. So maybe Lot is on the outside after all. That's yet to be determined from this passage. But, but at this point, they, they reject his judgment. They, they turn away from, from him. I wonder if you ever tried to talk to someone about their sin, only to say to them, who gave you the right to judge? Or, or to say to you, judge not lest you be judged. 
Well, the scriptures are clear. We are commanded to judge, but we are commanded to judge with right judgment, to judge justly, not with sinful self-righteousness, but with humble, gracious, wise, loving, boldness. If your judgment is not mixed with these characteristics, you are going down the wrong track. But quite often, you'll find that that, that even when you do have, have a right attitude, even when you, when you are being, you're not being self-righteous and, and you are being humble and wise and, and loving, even then you, you'll find the same criticisms leveled at you because the, the, the person you're trying to speak to loves their sin. They hate the light. They don't want to turn to the light. Well, the time may come when, when you will be threatened with loss of job or a loss of friends or... or, or family relationship and even the loss of, of personal safety they, they might even threaten your very life but nonetheless the command is clear to stand firm on God's truth these wicked men threaten Lot they, they threaten that they're going to treat him even worse than they're planning on treating the angels we need to realize that that we must not submit to fear. We must not let, let fear keep us from doing what God commands us to do. It is not loving to leave people in their sin without reaching out to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To, to withhold the gospel is, is not just unloving, though it's, it's actually disobedient to Christ. Carl Truman especially warns pastors who will not deal with this type of sin, saying it is an offense to God's holiness, and moreover, it is pastorally cruel and callous to the highest degree, effectively denying those involved in the, the possibility of repentance for sin and of God's love and grace. But Truman goes, goes on to call the casual trampling of a number of cardinal theological truths also to be at odds with Scripture and to be just as pastorally cruel and callous. He says that, that the reason why so many pastors are, are, not, are, are not dealing with this issue because they've already, the boat for them of, of the Bible's inerrancy and authority sailed a long time ago. And this is just fruit of a, of a heart that has rejected God. The men of Sodom press hard against Lot and, and drew near to, to break down the door. And the angels reach back and, and pull Lot into the house and, and shut the door. And they strike the men of the city with blindness. Like the protection of Elisha from the Syrians in 2 Kings 6, this blindness is, is not primarily punishment, but defensive. Perhaps long enough, only long enough for, for Lot to escape. This was a preliminary judgment. Much worse is yet to come. But even in their blindness, the men of Sodom were unabated in their blind lust, still groping for the door. It is a, it is a, 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 a twisted and, and pitiful description. And so Lot needs to be rescued by those he attempted to protect. When striking the men with blindness, the angel's identity is now revealed. And they are going to also reveal their, their mission here in verses 12 and 13. They said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. 
These are the exact same words that, that the Lord had used in, in chapter 18 to describe what was going on there. This was not just a reconnaissance mission. This is also a search and destroy mission. They came to destroy the city at the Lord's command. And the angels warned Lot, and, and Lot goes out to warn his sons-in-law, men who are about to marry his daughters, men who would have been among that, that blind-stricken mob outside his door. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Their blindness wasn't just external. It was spiritual. They thought it was a joke. Again, the same word is used to, to describe Sarah's response to the seeming impossibility of having a son. She laughs. But there it was disbelief that God would produce life. And here it's disbelief that God would take it away. Again, maybe you've encountered a, a similar response when you've warned people to flee from the city of destruction. Maybe you've warned them you've warned them that they need to be saved and, and they think you're joking or maybe they think you're a joke. But nonetheless, if you're motivated by love for them and for God and a desire to be obedient to Him, you will not be hindered. We're seeing the unfolding of the mercy of God in His mercy to Lot and the justice of God in His judgment against Sodom. Well, now the sections become more terse as the tension mounts as we move towards the cataclysm. Verses 15 to 22. The sun rises on Lot. Morning dawns and the angels urge Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. They ask the children, What would you do if you were in that situation? What would you do after the events of the night before, after such a dire warning? Well, well, I hope I'd grab my family and run. But Lot doesn't. Lot lingers. Lot lingers because he doesn't want to leave Sodom. Well, remember what had led Lot to Sodom back in Genesis 13. It was, it, it was a worldly pull of a, of a, luxur a luxuriant valley. Lot was comfortable and he didn't want to leave. I wonder, do you linger in a city of destruction? Some here recognize the fact that they are indeed citizens of the city of destruction. They have no intention of leaving. But others here are, are citizens of the celestial city might feel the subtle pull of the world that causes you to linger. Sometimes it's so subtle that it pulls you without your even realizing it. You know that you're called to be salt and light, but too easily you become dim and infected. Have you become desensitized to the sin that is taking place around you? You claim to be in the world, but not of the world, but is the world in you? Do you carry some of the sin of the world in your heart? Where does the world have its hooks in you? Worldly friends, worldly pleasures, worldly entertainment, worldly political positions, or worldly response to worldly political positions. There's all kinds of way that, ways that the world draws us, that the world, that the world desensitizes us to what is going on around us and lulls us to sleep. 
Alan Ross warns the, the influence of the world is alluring to the believer, but contemptible to God. May the lure of the world be, by the grace of God, be increasingly contemptible to us. We're not left alone to try to muddle through this as, as though we through, through our, our, we could white-knuckle it and, and pull ourselves out of the world. We're, we're often like Lot, and, and, and God has to drag us. But in His grace, He does. Like Jesus prayed for His disciples in His high priestly prayer of John 17, we are in the world, but not of the world. And just as Jesus prayed for the protection of those disciples, he is praying for your protection. You have an advocate who is interceding for you. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you, working his fruit out in your life to, to cause you to increasingly hate the things that you once loved and to love the one who you once hated. Earlier, the angels saved Lot by, by taking him and dragging him inside the house, and now they save him by, by grabbing him and his family and dragging them outside the city. Like Noah, once again, you see the, the head of a family and the family rescued, spared from destruction. But unlike Noah, nowhere in this text do we see the words that Lot, that Lot is righteous. In fact, his behavior in this chapter is repeatedly unrighteous. His character is not presented in a positive light, yet the Lord is merciful. Look there in the middle of verse 16. It was the Lord's mercy that saved Lot. Yes, this was a reconnaissance mission. Yes, this was a search and destroy mission. But this was primarily a rescue mission. God was setting out to rescue Lot. So the angels give further warning. Escape your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. The whole region is about to be destroyed. What does Lot do? Well, before he lingered, now he negotiates. No, no, Lord. It seems like, a, like an insubordinate, like insubordination to speak to an angelic being in such a way. Lot does not want to go all the way to the mountains, but begs only to go as far as Zoar, a little city nearby that was slated for destruction. The size of the city is emphasized and, and reflected in this, its name. It's, it's a little, seemingly insignificant city. This concession is graciously granted. So the angels have, have dragged lingering Lot from the city of destruction and agreed to spare Zoar on his behalf. So again, this is a rescue mission. God is rescuing Lot from Sodom. But he's rescuing Lot from Sodom in more ways than one. Again, from Alan Ross. Sodom would destroy Lot if God did not destroy Sodom. Do you see that? Lot had been infected by the sin of Sodom. And in order for, for Lot to be really rescued, the city had to be destroyed. It, it had to be excised from his veins. 
He needed a sodomectomy. This is a warning. It's a warning for Israel who first received this, this passage. It was a, it was a warning that, that God would destroy Israel if God did not destroy Sodom. And friends, the same is true for us, but, but with a twist. Romans 8.13, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You need to have continually the, the, the flesh that still, still dwells in you. You need to have that flesh removed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you participate in that. Everything that was required for your salvation is a gift from God. It is, God did everything that was required to save you. You are, are justified by, by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. But your sanctification requires your work as well. See that again in Romans 8.13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You participate with God as, as God works in you to will and to work according to His good pleasure. This is, this is synergistic. We work with God for our sanctification, not for our salvation, but for our sanctification. We need to be ruthless with our flesh. We, we need to, like Paul says, beat our body to bring it into subjection. Now, we're not talking about physical beating here. We're, talk about, we're talking about striving against the flesh. Like John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Well, now the judgment of God against the wicked is about to be unleashed. Verses 23 to 29. The sun rises on the destruction of the cities. Lot arrives at little Zoar. The sun rises and the wrath of the Lord rains down. Twice we're told in verse 24 that this is the Lord's doing. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. This region was full of, of abundant petroleum and bitumen and salt and, and sulfur. And so this fire from heaven likely ignited some of these elements on the ground that caused a huge conflagration as the, the whole region, apart from Zoar, went up in flames. The Lord destroyed the cities, all the people of the cities, and everything that grew. Lot had chosen this city for its fertility, but it has been decimated. If you visit this region to this day, you'll see that almost nothing grows there. It is, it is the, the, one of the most barren places on earth. And Lot has lost the things that he once longed for. He's lost all of his possessions. He's about to lose a whole lot more. The angels had warned him in verse 17, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. But in verse 26, Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Jesus uses Lot's wife as a warning in, in Luke 17, 32 and 33 that, that on the day of his return, we must not turn back to our previous life seeking to preserve a life in this world with the admonition, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. The behavior of Lot's wife reveals that her heart is still back in Sodom. 
She is turned into a pillar of salt. At the southern end of the Dead Sea, there, there, there's odd-looking uh, formations that, that look similar. If you've ever been to the, to the top of, of Big White, they look similar to the snow ghosts that, that form uh, on the mountain in the dead of winter. These ghostly-looking pillars in, 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 the dead, in the Dead Sea area, these, these pillars of salt. It's an enduring reminder of the fate of Lot's wife. We're warned in Hebrews 10, 38 and 39, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But friends, we are not like those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now in verse 27, the scene cuts to Abraham who had gone early, he'd gone early in the morning to the place where he had, had earlier um, prayed for Sodom. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and, and toward the land of the valley and he looked and behold, the smoke of that land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Verse 28. And Lot is silent. Lot doesn't say anything. This, these words are, are a silent epitaph. The lack of words, rather, a silent epitaph that reveal the righteous wrath of God. But if you look at verse 29, you can see that God spared Lot because of Abraham. God has spared Lot because of Abraham. I mentioned in the introduction that, that, that Abraham is only mentioned briefly in this passage, but that he indeed plays a very important role. It's because of him that Lot is spared. It's because of his intercession that the Lord worked on, on it was on his behalf that, that the prayer of Abraham resulted in the salvation, the deliverance of Lot. Again, Abraham has rescued Lot, but this time not from the, the wicked king Kedileomer. This time the Lord has rescued Lot from the wrath of God. The word that remember here, God remembered Abraham. This is covenant language. This is God's covenant faithfulness. His faithfulness to Abraham. Lot is protected under the umbrella of God's covenant promise to Abraham. My friends, some people flee their past lives but bring part of their past with them. Lot's wife did this and was destroyed. And I will see the same fate awaits his daughters. Lot has lost his possession. He has lost his wife and he's about to lose his daughters as well. God is going to destroy the wicked but he's going to preserve the righteous. So finally in verses 30 to 38, the sun sets on Lot and his offspring. This is kind of like a, a horror movie where, where you think the killer is dead but, but at the last moment rises up for one more deadly assault. And this time, the damage is even more widespread and lasting. Lot and his daughters and the citizens of Zoar are the only ones left alive in the whole region. And for reasons that the scriptures don't tell us, Lot is, is fearful of remaining in, in Zoar, so he and his daughters flee to the mountains and go and live in a cave. This is a, a far cry from the worldly comforts of Sodom. But as we see, they have taken Sodom with them. The firstborn says to the younger in verses 30 and 31, 
Our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. This is a parallel to Abraham and, and Sarah's scheme in, in chapter 16, but this is much, much worse. Lot's indecent proposal of using his daughters to assuage the lust of the Sodomites is now turned around and poured back on his own head as his daughters come up with their own indecent proposal. Lot, who is willing to allow his daughters to be violated, is now violated by them, not once, but twice. They made Lot drunk, and the first one in lay with her father. The next night, they did the same with his younger daughter. Again, this parallels Noah, the incident with Noah and Ham, but, but again, this is far, far worse than what happened there. This is arguably one of the, the top 10 wicked actions we see in the scriptures, in a chapter that's full of wicked actions. They both became pregnant. And the son of the elder is named Moab, which sounds like the, the, the words for from father. The son of the younger is named Ben-Ami, which means son of my people. Lot's daughters are presented as still citizens of Sodom. Sodom is reborn through them as the nations descended through them through the, and their sons give rise to two of the most notorious enemies of Israel. Those who are still citizens of the city of destruction will be destroyed by its vices. Hebrews 6, verses 4 to 9, we read, For it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who are, for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Now, if the writer of Hebrews had left off there, this would be a, a, one of the, the most confusing passages in the New Testament, one of the most difficult to interpret, but Paul doesn't stop, or the, the writer of Hebrews doesn't stop there. In verse 9, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Lot's wife was destroyed. Lot's daughters are destroyed. Much of Lot's behavior here makes us question whether he himself will be destroyed. But I said at the outset, we need, we need to look beyond Genesis to see God's verdict on Lot. So with that, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, in verses um, 7 to 10. And Peter writes, If he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. 
then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of, of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Three times in that passage, Lot is called by the, by the word of God, righteous. Lot is called righteous. Peter says that, that Lot was tormented and distressed by what he witnessed at Sodom. And he was tormented in his righteous soul. Friends, we miss the author's chief point of this passage if we only judge Lot in terms of his, hesitant, of his hesitance to heed the warnings of the angels or in terms of his mistreatment of his daughters or his daughter's mistreatment of him. Friends, Lot was declared righteous. Lot was declared righteous. Lot could not be saved by works any more than, than you or I could be saved by works. Abraham is, is not saved by works. He is, he is saved by faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so we're told here that Lot also believed God. The Lot also had faith and was saved. So in Lot, we see not only God's judgment of the wicked, but we also see the undeserving mercy of God. So this passage serves as a warning. It serves as a warning of, of coming destruction. Jude 7 explains that the condemnation of Sodom and Gomorrah foreshadows a greater judgment to come. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursue unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. All of the citizens of those wicked cities were destroyed on that day. But they're still awaiting a further judgment, a judgment that is yet to come. As we consider the, these, this wickedness that we see in, in, in Genesis 19, it's, it's easy for us to sin, see the sins of, Psalm, of Sodom. It's, it's easy for us to see just how wicked those cities were. But I wonder, do you see your sin so clearly? All sin is reprehensible. All sin deserves God's holy wrath. Now you may not struggle with that particular kind of sin, but your sin deserves God's wrath too. Don't think that God will only pour out his wrath on, on the sin of Sodom. Earlier I referenced uh, Romans 1, that this passage doesn't speak of the condemnation of that one specific sin, but verses 29 to 32 goes on. Paul says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, foolish faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know not God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, that they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. No, you may not be tempted with the sin of Romans 1, 26 to 27, but do you see your sin in verses 29 to 32? That list represents all sin, including yours. As wicked as the sin of Sodom was, 
This is not the final judgment. That judgment is yet to come. And likewise, in Luke 17, 18 to 28, Jesus says that on the day of the Lord, there will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. People will be going about their lives ignorant that God's wrath is about to rain down upon them. This is a story of destruction, but it is also a story of deliverance. One day God's justice will come. One day God's judgment will come down. And I, and I wonder, as you, as you look across the gulf, to those who are going to everlasting perdition, eternal torment, can you, with a clear conscience, say, I have prayed for these people. I, I have shared the gospel of these people. I've reached out to my, my friends, my neighbors, my co-workers, my family members. With the good news of Jesus Christ, I have prayed for their salvation. Can you say that? God's judgment is coming. May all of us be on the side of those who go to be with God and are delivered and not among those who are destroyed. Friends, the only hope that, that anyone has on that day is to turn from their sin and flee to Christ. His substitutionary death on the cross as he poured out his life for our sins as he lived the righteous life that you and I could never live. Our only hope is to find forgiveness at the cross of Christ. In a few moments, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper together. We're going to, to celebrate the life and the death and the resurrection and the, the ascension and even the return of Jesus Christ. This, these emblems preach the gospel. As you receive them, if you are here as a, as a person who is, is turned away from your sin and you are, you are living in faith in Jesus Christ, then drink and eat and celebrate all that Christ has done for you to affect your salvation. As those who have fled from the city of destruction and on our way, on our way to the celestial city. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, Lord, we marvel at your great grace. Lord, we know that we deserve your eternal wrath. All of us deserve your eternal wrath. We have no righteousness of our own. Lord, we flee to Christ for the salvation that can only be found in his name. We pray, Lord, that as we walk in increasing obedience, Lord, that we'll be used of you to snatch others out of the fire. Lord, that we would be your messengers, just as you sent your angels into Sodom. Lord, help us to go forward as, as your messengers, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Amen.